On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem in fulfillment of prophecy. He rode in riding on the foal of a donkey. He rode in to shouts of Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to the Lord in the highest. Hosanna means God is our salvation or God saves. And throngs of people, huge crowds, surrounded um, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. They would take off their coats and they would lay them down so that it would be a, a royal procession because they were welcoming him as king. And yet five days later, they would cry out, as Leslie said, crucify him, crucify him. The king had come, but also in fulfillment of prophecy, the purpose of his coming was not at that moment to establish his reign over all the earth in an earthly form, in a form of human government, but to come ultimately out of God's amazing grace as the suffering servant who would die for our sins. He came to establish his kingdom in the way that no one expected except for those who were paying close attention to his word. That what was required was not just a leader that would change things from the outside, but a savior who would transform the hearts of men and women from the inside and bring to us this incredible gift of salvation. Now, I am sure since Peter was there when that happened, and Peter had referenced earlier in 1 Peter Jesus as the cornerstone, and that image as it is contained throughout Scripture, Scripture contains so many elements and facets of what it means, including the stone that is listed in Daniel that would come and ultimately do away with every form of human government that would crush the empires of the world, I'm sure that was in the back of his mind. And that as he's writing to people who are scattered by persecution, persecution brought about by an empire, the Roman Empire, that he was remembering that one day soon, Jesus would once again ride into Jerusalem, but this time not as the suffering Savior, but as the victorious conquering king at his return. And between those true truths, he writes to us to show us how we are to live as citizen saints of a kingdom that has been established by grace and will one day be fulfilled at the return of Jesus Christ in power and in majesty. With that in mind, I want you to look at these verses here that Peter is writing. Let's, we're going to jump around a little bit because I want to start in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, as those who are um, away from your natural homeland, you've been scattered across the globe. That's the people that he's writing to, people who are living as foreigners in a strange land. And it's very, very appropriate because faith is a journey in a foreign land. For all of us. And the subtle enemy of our faith is comfort. 
when you and I begin to feel too much at home in this world, it is dangerous for us spiritually. When I get comfortable, that's when I have a greater tendency to pursue sin and to pursue self. Faith is a journey, and comfort often can be our enemy. In fact, did you know that at least one of the meanings of the name Hebrew means foreigner or one from across the water? All through the Scriptures, believers are presented as travelers in a foreign land. That's why every great work of God that you read throughout the Scripture, almost all of them were done by displaced people. When God called Abraham, the first thing he told him to do was to get up and leave your homeland and go to a land that I'm going to show you. There is a connection between living for a different kingdom while you're here on earth that permeates the, the, um, the life of every person of faith. When you read through Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith, you discover that almost all of them in one form or another were displaced either by persecution or, by, or in obedience to God's command. God does great things when we're unsettled, when we choose to live for His kingdom rather than our own comfort. We are to be saints, He's told us already, who are set apart for obedience to Jesus. And now Peter is going to show us exactly what that looks like in practice. And from here on out, Um, Over the next um, several uh, paragraphs that he's going to talk about, he's showing us how to live as exiles in this land who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And he begins here in verse 11 with what I believe may be the most important word for you and I to hear today, beloved. Or if you want to make it sound a little better, beloved. In fact, just here's what I want you to do. Because this is addressed to you and I, I want you to simply say, I am God's beloved. Can you say it with me? I am God's beloved. That is a great word. And if there is a word that any of us need to hear, it's that. And it's it's one that's packed with meaning. Let me me give you a a sense of it from, from the original language because what he's saying is that a saint, one who is set apart to obedience to Christ, who has placed their trust in him, that you are beloved. And it means esteemed, dear, favorite, worthy of love. Now that is an incredible statement because we know in and of ourselves we are not worthy of love. And yet God declares us worthy. Isn't that beautiful? And when we look at it, when you see it there in the original language, it's agapetos, which comes from agape, which means an an unconditional love that is carried out, a covenant love, where one for sure keeps it unconditionally, and the one who keeps it is God himself. So what Peter is reminding you and I of is that you are loved by God. And even though we don't deserve it in and of ourselves, he has declared you worthy of his love. That's good news. In fact, that's incredible news. And this is, because of this word, one of the things I like to do, especially with young people, I do it all the time, and, and if they, there aren't very many of them in here, so I can get away with saying it this time, especially with teenagers, I almost always tell them, I'll whisper in their ear, 
you're my favorite. Now, I'll go to another one and say, I'll tell them exactly the same thing because that's what this verse says. That's what God is whispering in your ear and my ear. You're my favorite. Do you need to hear that today? Do you need to allow that truth to sink into your heart that that's how God sees you? As a precious child, as one that he was willing to give everything for. That is great, great news. Beloved is the honored title that accompanies everyone whose spiritual identity and eternal destination are wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now if we back up into the chapter to what we looked at last week, into verse 4, with that in mind, we, come, we, we read, as you come to him, speaking of Jesus, knowing that you're beloved, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We come to him, the cornerstone, the living stone, because we are beloved by him. We are precious and chosen just as Jesus is precious and chosen by God the Father. He's inviting us into his identity and into his work. He's saying your life is to be built upon this foundation, this cornerstone of who Jesus is. And I want you to know that when I see you, God the Father is saying, I see you through my son and you are beloved, precious in my sight, treasured in my heart. And so with that in mind, he picks up this theme again, Peter does, in verse 9. And he says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, what Peter is trying to get across to us is not only are we set apart to obedience in Christ, but we are a brand new people. We are a holy nation. What he's saying, or the way I like to, to, to paraphrase it is, we are called to be citizen saints, citizens of heaven. We have a new homeland, a new country that is truly where we belong, and it is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is not just heaven, it is the very presence of Jesus. It is into his kingdom that we are welcomed. And so saints, to be a saint means that you and I are citizens of God's kingdom. No matter where we come from, no matter what our background, what our racial um, uh, components are, what our culture is like, what our nationality on earth, doesn't matter because we are a brand new people united as one in Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that our world needs to see is that reality being lived out in and through the church. Because the answer to the division, the friction that happens, the, um, the ethnic cleansing, the racial tension, the answer to that is not greater government regulations, although they may serve a purpose. The true answer 
is the reconciliation that comes from being united as one, as equal brothers and sisters in Christ, united in him with a brand new identity. So to highlight this important teaching, what he's going to go on is give us some of the requirements of how we are to live as beloved citizen saints. And what he tells us here in verse 11 is he gives us two things that we need to grab a hold of. Where There are some things that we need to abstain, we need to turn away from, and there are some things in verse 12 that you and I need to covenant to keep. Because a citizen saint abstains from actions and attitudes that do not reflect the character of our King, Jesus. That's what he's saying here in the rest of verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. As a citizen saint, I must recognize that there are attitudes of my mind, conditions of my heart, and actions that I partake in, which are actually at war with my soul. This goes beyond whether or not it is sin and whether or not an attitude or an action is right or wrong. What he's saying is that there actually is a battle for your heart. Jesus came to give us peace with God, but there's no way for us to experience that peace in its fullness if we are not aligning our life to the character and commands of Jesus. If there aren't some things that we are um, abstaining from because God says, this is not what I have for you, this does not reflect my character, my choice in your relationships, in your behavior, in the things that you are doing, if we're not abstaining from those things which God says are sinful, it robs us of our peace that he died and rose again to give us. So what he's saying is, what I want is your very best. I want you to recognize that there are things at war with you, within you that are keeping you from living the life I intend for you to have. For you living as one who is truly beloved. If you want to truly be at peace with God in your own heart, then there are some things that need to be put away. And it makes total sense when we think about it. If you're a parent and you find out um, you know, that your child has done something in disobedience to you and they know that they are caught, what happens? What usually happens is they do their best to avoid you for a while because they're afraid of what you're going to say. They're afraid of the punishment that might, might come. But the biggest thing is that they know deep in their heart that there's something broken in their relationship with you as a parent. Now that action does not change how much you as a parent love your child. You just know that what they have done is not good for them. The heart of God is the same. And in order for us to have peace with God, what he calls us to do is to turn from those attitudes, from those actions, from those behaviors, from that sin and say, Lord, forgive me. I chose to turn away from you. But right now, I'm turning back because you love me and because I want to learn to love you more. That's what Peter is calling us to do. 
to enjoy the peace of God that we can have in our relationship when we abstain from the things that do not reflect the character and nature of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, one of the great obstacles to people coming to faith in Christ, at least what they will say, is the hypocrisy of the church. And it is true. If there's a sin in the scripture that Jesus is very adamant that those who claim to be followers of God abstain from, it is hypocrisy. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and to pull out those things that do not align with his character, with his grace, and with his truth. So there's some things that need to be surrendered in our life. And right now, maybe the Lord is bringing something to mind in your life. The reason he is bringing it to mind is not to beat you up over and make you feel overwhelmed with guilt, but he is prompting it because he desires for you to be able to live free. That's what Peter says later in the verses. We are to live as free men, free in Jesus Christ, but we're not to use our freedom as a liberty to sin. We're to use it as a freedom to enjoy who God truly is and to experience more and more of his fullness and his presence. Secondly, a citizen saint keeps and practices those attitudes and those actions that do reflect the character of our king. As people marked by the grace of God, we must refrain from some things while at the same time giving ourselves fully to other things. The world doesn't need to see how good we are, but it does need to see the perfect Son of God in and through our lives. Understand this. What God calls us to be is His representatives. And I'm going to say this several times throughout the message. Do you realize that you may be the only or one of the few representations of who Jesus Christ really is on earth to other people. Your life is meant to testify the good news of Jesus. When people look at you and look at how you live, the things that you say, the love that you show towards them, the grace that you extend, do they see an accurate picture of Jesus Christ? Because that's what he's calling us to do. Now, I believe one of the best ways for us to really see this is to pick up on this whole idea of being a holy nation, a holy people. Now, we come from many different countries and different backgrounds, but there's some things that we have in common. You and I all have a passport, right? A passport is an incredibly important uh, piece of paper. If you lose your passport, Especially when you're living in a foreign land, things get incredibly difficult. It's hard to travel. It's hard to be able to, you know, if you have a bank account, you, you can't show who you are. You can't prove your identity. All kinds of difficulties begins, begin to happen in our life. And this is what I believe that Peter is picking up on when he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. This means the greatness of Jesus who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he's picking up ultimately on who we are. And when you think about a passport, it's an ordinary passport from any of our countries. It gives us certain things that are really important to us. First of all, it represents your identity, both individually and as a people. As aliens in a foreign land, we often feel secure because we have no sense of belonging and a limited ability to communicate, especially in my case because my check is so bad. And what happens is, is when we have an identity amnesia spiritually, um, other things begin to take the place of our true identity. But we have been given a vertical identity that is rooted in Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful to not replace it with a horizontal one, an earthly one, because we are beloved by God. So the passport gives us a, a sense of our identity. It says when you were born, it says where you're from, it gives you the ability for you to um, show who you are to others. An identity also gives, or excuse me, a passport also gives us access to all the resources of your nation. As aliens in a foreign land, um, we don't have access to some of the resources that a citizen of this land does. But that's why we have embassies, is they grant us access to some of the privileges and rights that we have from our homeland. We have certain degree of rights as a citizen. The nation that you belong to and the backing of its government and its power are supposed to be there to be your ally. Now, it doesn't always work out that way in, in a human sense, but that's the intent of what it's supposed to be. But you also have, um, as representative, or as represented in your passport, you have some responsibilities as a citizen. As a citizen, you are accountable to live by the law both of the land in which you dwell, the foreign land, and of the laws of your nation. Um, for those of us who are, who are American, that one of the things that, that means is that tax day is coming up, and it's time to pay our taxes. Even though I don't live in the United States, I still pay taxes in the United States, and we pay taxes here. It's part of our responsibility um, both as citizens of our natural nation and as living here in a different land. And ultimately, this points to a representation of your nation and of your people. Now, <laughs> how many of you, when you um, hear certain sounds, certain, oftentimes certain, sound, uh, certain loud sounds on the metro, do you instantly go, oh, that's a group from blank? Yeah, yes. Where, the, where, where do you hear the most? Italy. Italy. All right. Okay. The Italians have, have taken over the, the metro car, and everyone knows it because they're passionate and expressive, right? Well, we're representations of our nation. People, when they see me, get a picture, good or bad, of what my home nation looks like, what our people is like. Well, you know, sometimes we have a stereotype that we really, really deserve, and sometimes we don't, but what's far more important is how we're representing not our homelands, but the kingdom 
of heaven. What Peter wants us to see is that you and I, if we're in Christ Jesus, we have a different passport, a passport as a citizen of heaven that was procured for us by Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And it contains some of the same things that our um, international passport or the passport of our homeland does, but on a much different and more important level. You see, it points to our divine adoption, our identity as a chosen people, as a holy nation. And it, it comes because of four words. In fact, the easiest way I know to, um, to, to say what the gospel means is these four words. Jesus took my place. He took the place I deserved. He died the death I deserved. He lived the life I could never live. And yet out of his love for you and for me, he took our place. That's what we're going to celebrate next week as we reflect on Good Friday and as we um, come together as well as a church on Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection. We are celebrating and remembering that Jesus took our place, the good news. And because of that, everything changes because we're given his identity. We don't have to earn it on our own. We don't have to try to be better and better by good works so that somehow we'll earn the right to be a citizen of heaven. It's not something you can earn. Just, you know, you can't change from that. Um, the only way to become a citizen of heaven is to be born as a citizen of heaven. We have to be born again by faith in Jesus Christ. But that gives us a new identity. And it says that in that identity, we're chosen. God chose you before the foundation of the world. He chose you to know him, to be set apart by him. And he chose every other believer in the same way. Not because we deserved it, because it is a reflection of his incredible love. It also means that we're connected, that we belong to each other. We are being built together into the body of Jesus Christ, into a spiritual temple where his presence dwells. And if you want to get a good picture of it, I mean, I almost brought these today, but um, then you would probably accuse me of playing with toys. Think of Legos, okay? You know, I mean, if you're a parent, especially of little boys, Legos are like the greatest thing in the world except for in the middle of the night when you have to walk down the hall or into your child's room because they're always on the floor and you're bare feet and you, you know that they are there. Legos scattered abroad really aren't very appealing. They are made to be built together. That's what the church is made for as well. Your life is meant to be connected to mine and my life is meant to be connected to yours because Jesus is building us on the foundation of who he is into his spiritual temple, his church. So we're connected. Also, our new identity says that we are changed. We are not who we were. Therefore, our life should reflect our adoption, our new identity. Before, we were born as a sinner. 
We were in rebellion against God, but now we are adopted by Jesus Christ if we've trusted him as Savior and as Lord, and we should live based upon that new identity. It also means that we are now one race, one people. There is absolutely no excuse ever for discrimination in the church of Jesus Christ. Over history, we have seen the enemy do that time and time again, but everything in the heart and character of God speaks against it. That if a person comes to faith in Christ, no matter what their cultural background, no matter what their heritage, no matter what their language, we are one in Christ Jesus. One people, citizens of a beautiful and wonderful heaven. I told you this before, but you can read about it in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. One of the reasons why Jesus is proclaimed worthy is because he has redeemed people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. As a church, the international gathering is a picture of Jesus' worth. That's why it's so beautiful. We are to be connected together as his. So we have a divine adoption that gives us a new identity. It's represented in this new passport we're given as citizens of heaven, as members and um, representatives of Jesus' kingdom. It also means that we have divine access. He says we are a royal priesthood. We have rights, a right that we can go not only to church together, but far greater than that, we can go into the very throne room of the King of Kings at any moment. We have divine access that is absolutely amazing but it's something we far too often take for granted. We need to remember that he's called us to be priests. And that means a a priest is one who intercedes for others. That's why prayer is such an important part of of the life of a believer. We're not only to pray for ourselves and for our families. We are to be interceding for the lives of others, praying for those around us, praying for the lost, praying for our neighbors, praying for leaders, praying for our enemies, praying for those we've not even met yet because we have been given divine access to the very throne room of God. You belong to his kingdom and that means also in that divine access is that we have the backing, the full backing of Jesus' authority and power. That's why he begins the Great Commission with all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go therefore. He's saying you have these rights that are connected to my authority and my power. I'm sending you out resourced by everything that you need by the backing of my kingdom You don't need to be afraid. The early church understood this. And that's why in in the face of incredible persecution, they became more and more bold in their witness. Not because 
There was something special about them, but because they had a true understanding of the authority that they had in Jesus Christ. We need to remember that. So with that divine access as a royal priesthood, it calls us to divine acts as well. We have responsibilities to serve and to, and to be a sacrifice for others, to follow the example of Jesus Christ. We are to pray kingdom prayers that advance God's work, and we are to give sacrificially of ourselves of the resources that God gives us to invest them in his kingdom and in his work. It's one of the reasons why I've put in your bulletins these um, roadways to revival um, to use as we use public transportation just as a prompting when we're using the different forms of transportation to pray kingdom prayers to intercede for the city, to intercede for the church, not just our church, but the churches all across Prague and the Czech Republic and around the world, to pray for brokenness, to pray for transformation, to pray like a priest because that's who we are. I want to encourage you to use that. This week, um, uh, Majid, Pastor Majid, um, had sent me an email about praying for the peoples in, in Syria, especially those in the, in the really war-torn area of, of Afrin, and the difficulty of the, of the persecution of believers there, as well as other um, groups, minorities in particular, because of the ongoing violence. And he asked us to, to pray some specific things, and, and this is part of what he wrote. This is from Majid. He said, My crying is for the humanity, for mercy and peace, I don't know why the Lord allows such destruction to come over that area, but I'm quite sure that he is a loving heavenly father and he will keep his plan, will fulfill his promise and will never forget the wise men who first bowed down before the Lord in Bethlehem, the Medes and the Persians who attended the temple in Jerusalem and at Pentecost with the other nations who are part of the early church who are our grandfathers and we are their descendants. He's remembering the history of his people and he's calling on the Lord and he's calling on the church to pray for them. And he asks us, he says, as your brother in Christ, I am kindly asking you to pray with all your heart before the Lord to stop the violence, to protect the civilians, and for brothers and sisters in Christ and a friend in particular. Secondly, I urge you to appeal to international leaders to intercede, to bring an end to the violence and to, those, um, and to care for those who are in need. Then to pray that as a result of what's happening, that many will turn to Jesus as Savior during these very difficult and dangerous times. And the fourth one, he says, is pray for Kurdish Christian leaders in the EU um, who are scheduled to pray and fast together the first week of April in Brussels. And he'll be there praying together with other Kurdish leaders. There are other groups that are suffering great persecution. Some of your homelands, some of, you are, are some of you individually have experienced that kind of persecution. Our responsibility as a royal priesthood is to intercede for those who are hurting. And so I want to urge you to write down one or two of those things 
And let's be diligent about praying for those things. Praying that Jesus' gospel would be advanced and that many will come to faith and that the violence will end. As a saint, we are called to live a life of intercession and to live a life that demonstrates the greatness of God. He has called us into his marvelous light. And I believe that saying that he uses, that Peter uses here, goes back to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what he calls us to do. And it's our responsibility as citizens of God's kingdom, as citizens of heaven. For many people, the only image of Jesus they may ever see is you. How are we doing at representing who he truly is? Because what should be the reality is that the faith and the obedience that they see in me should point them to Jesus. It's a great responsibility. But we are his representatives. So with that divine access and the divine acts comes a divine accountability. We are called to be a holy nation. Now this is cheesy, but I'm going to use it anyway. There can be no ch unless you are in it. Okay? There can be no ch unless you are in it. Yes, it's cheesy. Thank you. Thank you for rooting me on. That's why we come together as a local body of believers and we fellowship together, as Hebrews says, not neglecting to meet together. Today, in just a few minutes, we're gonna celebrate membership and we're gonna invite some new people into membership of the church. And it's a beautiful thing because it's saying we're one. We belong to each other and we belong to Christ. How cool is that? We are meant to be connected together. And that's why he calls us to live in unity, to love the brotherhood and the sisterhood of Christ, to be accountable. And, and to be accountable doesn't mean that you're, you're, someone is watching to see when you mess up. It means to make your life count. That's why we need each other. We need that accountability. I need that accountability. Because we all have a tendency to drift. We need to remember who we are. Well, he goes on here. Let me quickly wrap it up. He says, we're a holy nation. And then he gives some practical instruction in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We, we talked about this in the things that we, we move away from and the things that we keep. But I want you to notice how he phrases that. It's an urging. There are things in Scripture which are absolutely commanded, and then there are things that are promptings out of love. What God is doing here through Peter is prompting, is calling you and I to come closer, to keep coming to him as we read earlier in the chapter. He says, these things are keeping you from experiencing the intimacy I wanna have with you. I am calling you closer and closer. And then he goes and does something that seems absolutely crazy. 
He says, you're a holy priesthood, a divine nation. Therefore, because you are citizens of heaven, this is what you're to do. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the king or emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Those are beautiful instructions. He's saying because we are citizens of heaven, this is how we should live on earth. You and I should be great citizens of the world as well. We should honor everyone which means we need to deal with one another in respect. If there, is, if there is something that is greatly lacking in our world today, it is respect. The rise of social media has made disrespect the absolute expectation. It, it means that you separate yourselves into camps and there can be no dialogue, no conversation. As citizens of God's kingdom, we should work and show respect to everyone because the only way that hearts will be changed is if we begin to be able to show them who Jesus is and enter into a conversation where they know that there is respect and honor. We're called to live that way. You see, what he says is not only do you have divine access and divine adoption and, and, and divine acts, you are divine ambassadors. You are representing me, a people for my own possession. I have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light for you to shine so that others may see me. And here's how we do it. Now, the order that he uses here is important. He, he says, honor everyone, show respect, no matter who they are, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, treat them as you would want to be treated. Treat them as if they are made in the image of God and that Jesus Christ died for them. Then he says, love the brotherhood. And sisterhood is right there with it, so don't, don't be worried. In the original language, they're, they're together. We are to love other believers passionately, even those who have differing priorities in how their understanding maybe of certain aspects of, of what we do in, in corporate worship or emphasis on certain teachings more than others, it's okay. If they have faith in Christ, we are one and we're growing closer and closer to Christ. And then fear God. We don't need to fear the emperor or the king or the government but we do need to have an understanding that God is supreme, that he is the judge of all. We need to have a holy fear of him. And then that allows us to live out in obedience. And the reason the order is important is because the same man who wrote these words also responded to the high court of Israel saying, whether or not we are to obey men or to obey God, you decide, but for us, we must obey the Lord. There will be times when the priorities of the gospel and of God's kingdom may separate us from obeying human government. But those times are rare, and it is only for the advancement of the gospel. He calls us and puts it in order. 
to make sure that we have a clear understanding. Jesus calls us to be citizen saints, to live as if we really do belong to God, as if we really are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. So my challenge to each of us today is to remember we've been given an incredible new identity, an incredible new passport, and we are his representatives. For many, we may be the only representation of Jesus that they see. We want to make sure we reflect him well. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the power and the access and the authority that you give us in Christ Jesus. Lord, would you enable us, we pray, enable us to truly become one as a people and to rightly represent you to the people around us, to the world around us. Help us to live as citizen saints of heaven. We pray in Jesus' great and mighty name.